Uh, we're going to start something this morning, uh, just some Christmas questions. If you've got the notes on the back, uh, that you saw that it's uh, a few questions we're going to ask this Christmas season, and uh, hopefully it'll challenge us and, and, and uh, encourage us to move forward into this Christmas season and into the new year uh, with a zeal for the Lord. And uh, I also want to say this, uh, before we get started, I'm so thankful that the Lord brought uh, the Hendricks back to us. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And uh, these are our missionaries to the Congo, and they were, they're here for a, a couple months. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a, a mixed bag uh, as they come back home because it's a, a bittersweet thing. I had to say goodbye to one of our dear brothers, Brother Jimmy Stroud, or uh, see you later. Uh, we're going to see him again one day. I'm confident in that. And uh, the Lord took him home, healed him ultimately uh, this, uh, this past week. And uh, we're, uh, we're praying for the family. I encourage you to continue to pray for them as, uh, as they are, are going through that struggle. It's always a, a mystery, um, a death. I know that I say that at every funeral because it is. I mean, the people that we walk and talk with and, and hug and shake hands and communicate with, they're, they're no longer here on this, this temporal earth that we're still living in. Uh, but they're alive, more alive than they've ever been before. I mean, in the presence of God. And so just a, an amazing mystery. Uh, but so we rejoice that he's healed. Uh, we, we continue to process through and, and mourn the loss here. But uh, again, just keep them in your prayers. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. I know we read some of these verses already this morning. But when I ask the question, uh, what would you do uh, if, if you knew that the God of all creation uh, wanted to come to your house today? If, if you knew he, he called you on the phone, he sent you a text, not that God communicates like that, but uh, in our modern, you know, understanding of how communication happens. But now, if God uh, sent you a message and, and you knew he was going to come to your house today, um, what would change? Would anything change in, in your house, in your life, if, if you knew that Let's just put it in what we're, we're going through in Christ, this Christmas season. Let's, let's say God incarnate wanted to come to your house. So you knew he's coming to your house today. What would change? Uh, would you have to make some room in your life? Would you have to make room in your house physically, in your schedule? What about in, in the priorities of life? Would you have to make room and to have time for the God of all creation. Today I want to look at three groups, uh, three, we could say maybe realms or three um, people, uh, persons, I don't know, uh, that didn't have room for Jesus at his coming, didn't have room for Jesus in his ministry. And again, hopefully we'll, we'll get something from this that will not only help us and encourage us, challenge us this Christmas season, but moving forward it will do the same. So let's pray and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you again for all that we've already experienced. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the hope that we have, uh, that we have in you that takes us beyond this life. As your word says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. We are, we are a miserable group if our hope in you doesn't take us beyond this world, but, but it does. And we're thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful that uh, we know we have life because you are life. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would move this morning. If there are those here that don't have a, a relationship with you, they've never been born again, I pray you would speak to them this morning, just as you spoke to several last week, and that they would not only hear your voice, hear your, your calling to salvation, but Lord, they'd answer that call, and they'd surrender their life, and today they would be born again. 
Lord, for those of us who have already surrendered our life to you, I pray that we would be challenged in a, in a special way this morning. That maybe if some things need to change in our life, they would change today. And we'll praise you for that, Lord. We praise you for all of this, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while uh, Corinus was governor of Syria. Uh, Syria. Everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, many of you know the story. Many of you are very familiar with the Christmas story. Nothing new in in this uh, may be for you. uh, But I want to just kind of point out a couple of things here um, as we've talked about each Christmas season. I think this is out of the ordinary. This was uh, completely supernatural, completely miraculous, the fact that Mary was uh, with child while they were engaged. And somebody said, well, that's not miraculous that somebody is pregnant while they're engaged. That happens all the time. It is in this case because Mary was a virgin. She had never known a man. She had never been with a man. Um, we know the story. Luke chapter 1 tells us that the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was impregnated by the Lord. I mean, and, and it's not in a weird kind of uh, sensual, earthly, sinful way that we think of how reproduction happens in our life, God literally put the seed in her. He, he placed the, the, the Son of Man, God in the flesh, in, human, in a human womb. And that was the miracle. That was supernatural. That's why Joseph, when he found out she was pregnant, he was like, peace, you know, you're out of here. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Until the Lord showed up and told him, hey, chill out. This thing is from God. This, this thing that has happened to her is from God. This is a miracle from, from Almighty God. And so, again, they, they got beyond all of that. They make their way to, to Bethlehem, and there they found no room. There was no room. Nobody had made room for them. You say, well, yeah, that's the story. It had to happen that way so that he was born in a stable. Uh, he was born in a, in, in a place where animals were. He came into the, the lowest of low, the meekest of meek, the, the most humble of conditions. It had to happen that way. Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. But, but I do want to point some things out in this, this, this truth that we know that there was no room for them in the end. The first group that I want to look at, the beginning of Jesus' life in the flesh, God incarnate in the flesh, is a group that had no room because of inconvenience. And you say, really? Inconvenience? We could say uh, a, a lot of things about this, associate a lot of things with, with inconvenience maybe. Um, we could talk about uh, they had no room because of uh, spiritual disconnect or lack of spiritual vision, or we could say a lot of things. And, and somebody might argue, man, that's kind of, isn't that kind of harsh for the innkeeper who, man, he was busy. He was, he was, he was struggling, right? I mean, the census created a, a real dilemma for this little town, the little town of Bethlehem, this little town of, of Bethlehem. The streets and the homes, the inns, we know had to be bustling because of what was going on. The influx of people coming to be registered so that they could be taxed by Caesar. 
Most people, and maybe even some in this room, would, would not fault the innkeeper for not making room for this unknown family. But what if we said it like this? Would you fault the innkeeper for not making room for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? As we asked the question in the very beginning, what would you do if you knew the God of all creation, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords was coming to your house today? The wonder I have is this, is if there were those people during that time, that specific time that God came in the flesh, would be born of a virgin, if there were people in that day, like the shepherds or even the wise men, you say, yeah, but the shepherds had angels. Oh, let's, let's keep going down the list of people who were not inconvenienced. People like Simeon and Anna who were anticipating, they were looking for, they were, they were following the words of the, of the Lord's prophets through the ages and being led of the Spirit. And they were anticipating, again, ready to leave their flocks. To, to go see the, 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 the Messiah, ready to, to, to stop everything that were, they were doing in their life to make a, a journey to see the Messiah. If there were those people like that, then why do we have the story of the filled in, or maybe even we could say the inconvenienced innkeeper? Possibly. I'm not saying he was, but maybe he was. He had a, he had a full in. He wasn't necessarily prepared for all of this, but what would you do if you knew the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was coming to your place? Would you not make room? If the innkeeper maybe was like Simeon and Anna, and I'm not trying to judge him. I don't know all the things. I don't know his heart. I don't know the conversation. I, we don't have all the information there. We just know that he didn't have room for the family. We know he didn't have room for the Lord. Luke chapter 2, further down, we know in verse 25, it says, Again, these, these people who were ready. There was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it was, had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out, the, uh, to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God. He praised God and said, Now, Lord... You are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. Now I can die. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Joseph and Mary were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years. She was old. That's, that's a nice way the Bible put it. She was old and uh, had lived with her husband 70 years after her marriage. That's a great testimony there. And then as a widow to the end of age 84, 14 years, she had been a widow and never left the temple, the Bible says, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Look, how, how is she going to spend the rest of her life now that she no longer is married to the love of her life of 70 years? How is she going to spend it day and night with fastings and prayer? 
before the Lord. At, the very moment, at that very moment when this happened, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him of all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. For all those who were looking for the redemption. See, I, I believe there were, there were those who were anticipating what God had already said. Those who were living by the Spirit. Those who were, who were eager to experience the promises of God. Namely, the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. There were those who were, who were looking forward to Jesus coming to be with them. And then there were those who might have been inconvenienced. Those maybe who were surprised. And Jesus was no inconvenience for the shepherds to leave those flocks. We know that the, the Bible says that they made haste. It wasn't like, oh no, what are we? There was no inconvenience, as I said, for those wise men to travel from afar, the Bible says. No inconvenience for the faithful men and women like we see in Simeon and Anna. I wonder if Jesus, the Lord and the Savior, even at this Christmas time when we are supposed to be celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, I wonder with all the busyness and the people and the things going on at this time, is there room for Jesus? Is there, is there room not just for him, but, but it's important to, to, to call out this part. Is there room for him to have his rightful place? See, so that, that's, the, that's the thing. We, we, I think sometimes as Christians, even during this Christmas season, we got decorations up, we go to church, we have special services, there's all kinds of things going on, but we, we still lose sight of Jesus having his rightful place in our life. And I believe it's because there are extra things and added things and busy things, and there's so much going on in our world that we don't necessarily make sure that Jesus has his rightful place in our life. And maybe it's because it's inconvenient to us. This widow was spending day and night with prayers and fasting, looking for the Lord, waiting, anticipating the, the Messiah to come. I mean, the, this man was faithful and filled with the Spirit. These, these shepherds, again, all these people waiting for the Lord to come and to be present. And the relationship that the Lord wants to have with us is real. He came and he died and he rose again so that we would have a reconciled relationship with Almighty God. But it's a mutual thing. It's not something that he forces on anybody. It's not, I mean, Jesus showed up and there were people that were inconvenienced, but he didn't force himself on them. It's something that we should desire today, just like those in that day, some of those in that day desired. John chapter 14, verse 21 he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest. I'll disclose myself to him. There will be a reality. There will be a real experience when this is a mutual thing. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and we will make our abode with him. We will make our, our, our presence, our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. It's, a, it's just a reality. If you don't love the Lord, you won't obey what he said. If you do love him, you will. And the word which you hear is not mine. It's the Father's who sent me. 
These things I've spoken to you while abiding, while I'm living in among you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I, not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I, I want to encourage you this morning to, to answer the question. Would you be in that group like it was in Jesus' day, the group that was inconvenienced? No room for Jesus because of inconvenience. Not waiting, not anticipating, not, not looking for the Lord to do something, not making yourself available for, for the Lord to use. How are you approaching this Christmas season? Is there room for Jesus? Are you serving him? Was it was said last week, man, no, there's no greater, no greater time for Christians to, to be witnesses for Jesus Christ than Christmas season. Man, invite somebody to our, our, our Christmas Eve service. Invite somebody to church. Man, do, do, do some, this is the time that Christians have, have a perfect opportunity, this time in Easter where we're celebrating Jesus Christ coming to earth, Jesus Christ dying and rising again for the sins of the world so that we might be saved, the consolation, the salvation that is only found in him. Right now is the time for us to say, man, th- there's people I can invite, there's people I can witness, there's people that I can, I can but if there's no room for Jesus, it won't be important to us. Maybe it's too much of an inconvenience. Maybe Jesus is an inconvenience. Can you imagine how that makes the Lord feel when those who profess to be his people are inconvenienced by him or his work or his word or gathering with his people? Can you imagine what that does to his heart? I look at the next group who didn't have room. John chapter 1, the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has become into me. Nothing that was made was, was made without Christ. Christ made it all. And in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about that light so that all might believe through him. He was not that light. John was not that light, but he came to testify about that light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was the light of, 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 the, of man, the light of the world, was in the world, and the, the world was made through him. He was the creator yet the world did not know him. He came into his very own, a, a, a people group, the Jews, and those who were his, whose own, did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. Again, God incarnate and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. It's the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you go back, you saw a couple of verses that says that he was in the world, and the world didn't know him, that he came into his own, and his own didn't receive him. There's a second group of people we know existed at the time of Jesus' birth, life, and ministry. I think that still exists today, and it's the people that have no room because of religion. 
There may be people in this room as maybe alluding to what we said in the first in the first people group. Maybe there's a lot of religion, but there's not a lot of relationship there. As Moses in John chapter 3 lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will, uh, will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. Why? Because uh, the Bible says, he who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten of the Father. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested that having been wrought And God, so many religious people, so many religious people having this version of of a relationship with God of their own making, missed God himself. Now, I want you to think about that again. It was a people who had a relationship with God of their own making, not the relationship that God afforded them through grace, not by faith. It was not something that, uh, not the way that God afforded the relationship with him, but they made their own. And it wasn't a real relationship. It was a, it was a, a, a false, it was a missed relationship. They missed the opportunity to have this amazing connection with almighty God through God in the flesh, Jesus himself. John chapter eight, they answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds, deeds of Abraham. But, but as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, the Father, this, this Abraham did not, did not do. Abraham didn't do that. You're doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So they, they were making this about themselves. They had made a religion for themselves. It worked for them. It suited them. They could follow God the way they wanted to follow God. Jesus is exposing their religion. Jesus is exposing their, their, their philosophy, their mindset. He's exposing all of this in his. And he, and he said, if, you, if God were your father, you would love me, he said. Oh. I've proceeded forth and have come from the Father. I've come from God. For, if I, for I have not even come on my own initiative. <laughs> he sent me. God so loved the world that he gave. He sent me. So why do you not understand what I'm saying? If God's your Father, why do you not understand my words? It's because you cannot hear my word. The truth, he told him, is this. You are your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, then why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you're not of God. 
He was talking to the Jews, and namely it was this, these, these, um, religious, these, these religious leaders, the Pharisees, came, and they, they were trying to catch him. In the beginning of the chapter, they're trying to catch him, and he saw their deeds, their hearts, their minds, their thoughts. Everything was evil. They were in darkness. They were religious. They thought they had a relationship with God, but it was all based of what they wanted how it worked for them, how it suited them. And they had taken from what had been delivered to them from their fathers. Jesus said that in another place. But I think many are making the same exact mistake today. Churches are full, I believe, of lost religious people. People who absolutely profess that Jesus is God. People who absolutely profess that Jesus is God. He came in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross and died for the sins of the world, including their own. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. There are churches that are full, I believe, that profess that that is the truth. But don't possess a sincere relationship with him. Churches are full of these people who exactly like the Pharisees of Jesus' day in his ministry on the earth, follow him at their whim. Follow Jesus the way they want to follow Jesus. Follow God, obey God in what ways work for them. They show up, they only do as they want to do. Again, this is exactly what the Pharisees, exactly what the lawyers, exactly what the Sadducees and the scribes did when Jesus came on the scene. Wait, wait, wait. You're not going to mess up what works for us. You're not going to mess up our, our family. You're not going to mess up our life. You're not going to mess up what we do. You're not going to mess up our money. You're going to mess up all this stuff. We already have it worked out. We already have a relationship with God. We don't need to change anything for you. And Jesus said, the reason why you don't want to hear my words, the reason why you don't want to obey my words, the reason why you can't even hear my words, because you don't have any part with God. His message of God, above all, in, on, through all, put the kink in their system, their religious system. Their religious system gave this, this sense of fulfillment Because, again, it's what suited them and soothed their conscience, even though they were convicted of their sin, convicted of their life when he spoke. Luke chapter 14, verse 16, but he said to them, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet came, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything's now made ready. They all alike began to make excuses, everyone who was invited. For the first said, I bought a field and I have to go, and go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I have to go test them. I'm going to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife. I can't come. <laughs> so the servants came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry. Said to the servant, go out quickly. It's the streets and lanes of the city and bringing the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there's room. The master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited and had excuses shall taste my banquet. Now, the great crowds accompanied him. I mean, there's a, he was saying these things to a lot of people. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, said to this great crowd of people, I mean, here he is. I mean, Billy Graham had nothing. I mean, Jesus, the greatest preacher, the greatest minister, the, 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 I mean, he had this, these multitudes following him. He turns around to all these people. You would think, man, oh, man, you got to do what you need to do, Jesus, to keep that church. That's a big church. That's a big group of people. Do everything 
you need to be careful what you say. He turns around to that group of people, this large crowd. Anyone, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Oh, wow. Whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For what you desire to build a tower? If you're going to try to build a tower, do you not sit down first and count the cost? Do I have enough to finish it? Do I have the ability? Do I have the finances? Do I have the materials? Can I finish this tower? Why would you not do that with your own life? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation, he's not able to finish it, I'll begin to who see it begin to mock him saying this man began to build a tower is not able to even finish it foolish what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 soldiers to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 can we fight this fight can we win this fight what king doesn't sit down first and count the cost and if while there is uh, the other is yet a great way off he sends a delegation and an ambassador ambassador and uh, peace and seeks terms for peace therefore if anyone any one of you does not renounce all that he has. He cannot be my disciple. That's the cost. You got to count the cost, he was telling them. It's an all-in thing. It's not an all-in except. It's not an all-in uh, but. It's, not a, it's an all-in with Jesus, period. He wasn't telling us to hate our relationships. He wasn't telling us to hate our wife, when he tells us to love people, that word hate in the Bible we know means to love less. He was telling them, unless you love all of these relationships, even your own self, because we can elevate our own self and our own desires above God real fast. You got to love all of these things, all these people, including yourself, less than you love God. And if you can't get there, if you can't say, you know what, I'm renouncing, you are my God, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, I'm confessing you, I'm surrendering to you. If you can't do that, you can't be my disciple, he said. That's the cost. That's, that's, the, that's what you have to count. Salt is good. It's, it's great. It's fine. If, but if it's lost its taste, then how are you going to restore its saltiness? It's no use. It's not good for the soil. It's not good for the manure pile. You can't make it fertilizer out of it. It's thrown away. It's no point. He has ears to hear, let him hear. In the last group, and I'll hurry, no room because of preoccupation. Playing or moving off of that point is a group of people in Jesus' day. There's a group of people still today. Maybe we could associate it with inconvenience. Maybe we could associate, uh, associate it with the previous point. But uh, I think it's very clearly that there are people who are more preoccupied and too preoccupied, maybe even show up in churches that are not making room for a real relationship with Christ because of earthly things, money, possessions. And please hear this, even those relationships that Jesus just listed. Please listen, because I think a lot of people get this confused. And I know I've preached before and I've had conversations with people before, and, and they were like, yeah, but we're supposed to spend time with our family. We're supposed to put our, our family first, and all, you know, our, our job or anything like that. Listen, do you think that the Lord wouldn't want us to spend time with or enjoy the people in our lives, our families? Why would anybody ever think that? That's crazy. Because 
He's the one that created those relationships. He's the one that gave us the blessing of a husband and wife. The blessing of being able to have children and, and raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He's the one that, that blessed us with, with a community. It, it's all God's design. Of course God wants us to enjoy those blessings of the relations. crazy to think that, that so-and-so, well, you're, you're saying we should serve God and, and, and neglect our family. That's not what I said. That's not what the Bible says. I believe, however, it's the perspective and it's the priority that we have in our life. We're to love our neighbor, the Bible says. We're to love our brother. We are to have such a love as a church, as the people of God, that that's how the world knows we're disciples of Christ is because of the love that we have for one another. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 13. There's supposed to be such a unique love and bond with, and that exists inside of a, of a Christian home too, with our, our wife and our, or our husband and our kids. It's to love as, as Christ loved us. However, However, we are to love the Lord according to his command with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, all of our mind. We are to love God first and above all and everything and everyone, including ourselves. And from that love and from that relationship flows a love to our family, to our church family, to our friends, to our neighbors. It's in that perspective and in that right priority is how we're supposed to operate. But we get it flipped. That's what happens. I believe even good-meaning Christian families get it flipped. And here's what I mean. We love our family sometimes more and over the Lord. So how? Sometimes we prioritize them over him. We'll talk with our kids, we'll talk with our spouse, but sometimes we won't even talk to our Lord. We'll hear how our kids or spouse's day went, but we won't hear from his word. We'll tell somebody about what we're doing with our spouse or what trip we're going to go on with our kids. And we'll do that, but sometimes we won't even tell the person who lives next to us or the person who works next to us that Jesus could save them for all of eternity. We'll tell people what we're doing in, in our lives and, and what we're going to buy next and, and, and how we're going to use what we're using next. But we won't even tell somebody about the most important relationship, supposedly, and the most important person in all of our life. We won't even tell them about him. That's how we prioritize them over him. And sometimes it even gets in the physical. We will do some of those earthly things and neglect the spiritual things. Church mission his will for our lives on earth just like we saw in luke chapter uh, verse uh, verse 20 in luke chapter 14 i've married a wife therefore i can't come wait 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 did god bless you with that wife why are you not going well why why would that not be the case again in verse 26 if anyone comes after me doesn't doesn't love less his own father his own mother and here here are the words right here his own wife and even his own children Love less than me. These are Jesus' words. This is a promise of God. He cannot be my disciple. 
Luke chapter 9, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, look, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me? Said another, follow me. He said, Lord, just please let me go and bury my father first. Not a very unreasonable request at all. But in perspective of relationship, in perspective of prior, perspective of what Jesus, his words, his words in the moment, his words, follow me right now. Right now. I don't think that Jesus has a problem at all with this man bearing his father. I don't think Jesus has a problem at all with, with us uh, having funerals. And not at all. I mean, Jesus shows up at funerals and heals people, raises them from the dead. Jesus, you know, mourns over the loss of, of Lazarus' friend. I don't think at all. But the point is in what he was saying at this moment. Follow me command is an imperative right now. You follow me right now. Make the choice. So I, I got something else to do right now. He said, allow the dead to bury their own dead. For as you, you need to go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Right now, it's time. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go say goodbye to those at my home. Let me still go, go, go. Let me tell my family bye. And Jesus said, no one. After putting a hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, I want to make it clear. I don't think Jesus taught, and I'm not saying it's about abandoning, abandoning the relationships that God has blessed us with in the first place. I don't believe that at all. I believe that's what he's teaching. But it is absolutely about having the right place and priority for those blessings, those relationships, in relate, relation to the greatest blessing. And that's having a relationship with Almighty God because of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurre resurrection of the person of Jesus Christ. Is there room? For Jesus this Christmas? Or is there no room because of preoccupation with relationships? Preoccupation with work, money, family. And we're just not going to make it because we've got this. A ruler questioned him in Luke chapter 18. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He said, all these things I've done for my youth. I'm a good guy. I've kept your commands. Jesus said, okay. You're lacking one thing, though. I need you to go sell all that you have. Every possession you have, go sell it all. Take that money. Go take care of the poor with it. You do that, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. The invitation was there. Follow me. Jesus, we know, wasn't telling this man he needed to do this in order to be saved. The Bible says that it's not by righteous works which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. It's not that this man could have actually done this deed and that would have given him salvation. It wasn't that at all. It was about where this man's heart lied. It was where his confidence lied. It was where his, his, his allegiance was. It, was. it was all those things that was in his heart that Jesus saw in that moment. Jesus knew this man was relying and living on the riches and possessions that he had. And so he says, well... Just go sell that stuff and, and give it to the poor and you can come follow me. When he heard these things, Jesus knew his heart exactly right. The Bible says that man was very sad because he was extremely rich. Huh. Do you know how much that is, Jesus? Do you know? You're asking me to, to sell all my stuff? That's millions of dollars. That, 
Who else are you asking to do that? No, no, I'm talking to you. I'm looking at your heart. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> Everybody who heard it, whoa, 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 then who can be saved? He said, things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And Peter turns around and says, okay, Jesus, look at us. We've left our homes, and we followed you. Look, our family's back at home. We're not asking them back down. We're following you. He said, he said to them, truly I say to you, this is the truth. There is no one who's left house or his wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much, both in this life and in the age to come, receive eternal life. The rewards will be rich. But it is an all-in. Jesus' entire life from his birth to his death was marked by people who were inconvenienced by him, too wrapped up in their own religion and missed this relationship with God through him, too busy with earthly things, earthly blessings that they missed it. and They missed it because there was no room for him. And the question that we have to answer this morning is, are we going to continue to make the same mistakes? Well, we have room. Is there room? What about you this morning? Are you too set in your life that to follow Jesus the way that he must be followed is an inconvenience? Are you too comfortable in your version of religion that to actually walk in faith and to actually follow and obey his commands the way he's commanded them doesn't work for you? Or are you just too busy with blessings that you're missing the greatest blessing of all? This personal, real, eternal relationship with Almighty God. I pray that we have room for Jesus, especially this Christmas. It's not about the presence of decorations. They're all nice and I love it. But the real gift, as the song goes, is Him. Will we have room? And if he is the true treasure and true gift, well, he, will we share him with others? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the challenge that you've given me, the challenge you've given us. Lord, the truth is we do get so busy, and we make the busyness. We allow the world to dictate our lives. We allow temporal things to control us. When we have Almighty God, the power that created everything, living inside of us, that rose Jesus from the dead, living inside. We have this amazing opportunity to, to, to walk with you, to, to serve you, to live for you, to witness for you. And so many times we allow too many other things to take priority, to take precedent, to set precedent. Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us be your people who are 100% loving you, who are 100% serving you first and foremost above all. Not serving ourselves, not even serving our family, not serving those who are close to us, but serving you, loving you, trusting you, living for you above all. And then from there, having the right perspective in all things. Lord, help us respond now in a right way. We'll praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand. As he sings, I want to invite you to come.